Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. We are in the midst of May. It is our body positivity and body inclusion month here on the podcast where we are talking to tastemakers and change makers in that space led by a Sweat Life ambassador, Sarah Piggott. And today on this episode, we are talking to Charlotte Oxnum. She is the founder of a community called Cue the Curves. It's both a platform and a community that helps plus-size women find and share the clothes that they love. I met Charlotte. Um, this is Gina Anderson-Cohen, by the way, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. And I met Charlotte through Chicago Startup Week, where I was a judge in the pitch competition um, the other judges and I were all just completely taken with Charlotte. And I would say that's probably why she won <laughs> Chicago Startup Week pitch competition. So welcome to the podcast, Charlotte, and take it away, Sarah. Awesome. All right, Charlotte, tell us about Cue the Curves. So Cue the Curves is a platform I created a year ago that is really centered around supporting plus-size women in their journey with fashion and shopping. So we are a online community, but we are centered around a platform that's designed to allow women to discuss fashion brands and fashion styles that are specific to plus size women and really have honest conversations around their experiences with shopping. Sounds great. I definitely could use that. Um, so we're going to walk through two goal questions and these are the questions. Tell us about a goal you set and accomplished in the past and why it was important. Yeah, in high school, we were all required to play sports, and I thought the girls' sports in the fall were the absolute worst. None of them were things I enjoyed, and I decided I was going to join the boys' football team. That took me four years, took me two years of just claiming I was going to do it, and everyone sort of laughing at me and walking away. And then my junior year, I got to help them out from the sidelines as a manager while I was training. Finally, my senior year. I put my foot down with my parents, with the coaches, with the school. And I said, this is a sport I could be really great at and I could really thrive and love. And they sort of looked at me and they went, you sure? And I said, yes. And they let me join the team. I um, by no means was the best player, but I was out at every practice, full pads, doing the whole deal. You don't realize how hard it is to run laps until you have 20 pounds of football pads on your shoulders. Um, I like, I won't lie and say that I was the best on the team, but I had so much fun and it proved to me so many things about perseverance and strength and really what I could accomplish if I put my mind to it. Um, it's, yeah, it's a different level when you play a sport that's that physical and that demanding of yourself. And there were a lot of days where I was like, why did I do this to myself? Like no one, I didn't need to play football. No one was telling me to, I had to fight for this. Um, but I still think it was probably one of the most formative experiences of high school and sort of my teenage years in putting my foot down and making that fight and pushing through it and succeeding. I had a, um, a classmate as well in high school who played football on the boys football team or just the football team. She was a rebel. Yeah, it was it was yeah, wild. It was great. I played and then everyone on the sidelines would be like, oh, cool. Are you like a kicker? You played soccer or something and decided to switch over. <laughs> and then I'd get to look at them and be like, no, I'm a defensive tackle. 
And they'd be like, wait, what? Right. Yeah, I think she was um, defensive too. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. <laughs> wait, Charlotte, you're my hero. <laughs> so you're today, you're a sophomore at Northwestern University. Um, so you're 19 or 20? I'm 19. Yeah, you're 19. And, and Sarah and I are in our mid to late thirties, both of us. Um, so if it's, it's really interesting the way you talk about this like football experience. Cause it's, it's kind of like, I think about, um, the girl in my high school who wanted to play and like got laughed off the field and it almost feels like it was a fight for you, but maybe a little bit less of a fight. Did you feel like a lot of pushback from your school or no? Not really. I think everyone just wanted to make sure that I was serious about it. I think it wasn't a question of you're a girl, you can't. Um, the coach actually sat me down and he said, if you're going to do this, I'm going to treat you like every other player on my field. I will yell at you if you're not going fast enough, not playing hard enough, like you're not getting special treatment here. And I said, good, that's what I want. Um, but I think it, it took time to actually convince people that I was serious. Like, I think I spent all of freshman and sophomore year being like, I want to play football in the fall. And everyone was like, yeah, that's cool. And sort of walked away and never really thought I genuinely was telling them I wanted to be on the football team until I put my foot down and signed up on the roster and was like, that's the sport I'm playing this fall. And then I had to have a conversation around just like safety, especially because I hadn't grown up playing it. Everyone was really concerned. They were like, that's a big sport to come into late because you haven't been tra trained how to hit correctly. You're coming in at a higher level than if, you know, you start when you're eight and you work your way up and how, how intense everything is. So people were worried about me from like a safety and just my own learning standpoint, but I had so much support from the staff and the team, like just the greatest group of guys that I could have ever played with. Um, but it was, I think people just didn't think I was being legit and they just were like, Oh, that was a fun conversation. I'm never going to think of it again. <laughs> So were the guys supportive of you or did they treat you like their bro or? They were the absolute best. They were genuinely the most supportive. I got a couple, I think maybe twice in the whole season, someone on the other team said a comment or a snide remark. And I had like six guys behind me ready to throw hands and I had to calm everyone down. Um, but they, they were so great. I was just another player on the team. The only difference was I had to, you know, wait to come into the locker room for pregame until everyone was dressed. That was about it. Um, we were a really small team. And so I think that helped with the camaraderie of it all, but no, they were so supportive. That's fantastic. Um, moving to the future, what's a big goal you're setting for the future and how do you plan to get there? Yeah, I really want, Cue the Curves has been such a main focus of me right now. And I think my huge goal right now is to grow it into sort of a self-sustaining community. I want to get enough women on the platform that they can all support each other and help each other. I love helping women and helping create this platform, but I don't want it to be about me. I want this to be the standalone community that really supports one another. So right now I'm doing a lot of work in making the plans to, to grow that base and to help as many girls and women as I can. I mean, I know how hard it was for me growing up, trying to find cute clothes and finding people to talk to about it all. That was such a rough experience. And to know that I'm building something that 
could mean girls don't have to go through that experience to the same degree really drives me. Um, so how I'm getting there, I think it's just a lot of conversations and finding the right people and sharing my story. I think I didn't realize just how vulnerable I was going to have to be in this whole thing, but every time like you're like, Oh, well I can just sort of push it on the whole group and be like, let's talk about this topic. Let's, And instead, I've found that by me admitting, me sharing really personal stories, admitting struggles, admitting insecurities, talking about what I'm going through, the conversation actually genuinely gets started because everyone's, you know, willing to be emotionally vulnerable. And I have to sort of talk the talk and walk the walk before others will follow suit. So I'm I'm working on that right now and really being open and vulnerable with the community. And it's had such a great response that I, I don't regret it for a second. Um, will you be working with the brands themselves? Our goal long-term would be to work with brands themselves. So obviously the customers and the plus size women come first for us and we want them to be served as well as possible. But we'd like to down the lines be able to turn around and say, here are what women are saying. Let me help you. Let us as cue the curves help you as a brand serve your plus size customers better. Um, so we don't want to take the standpoint of advertising or marketing or just trying to like sell to plus size women, but we do want to work with brands in making products that plus size women themselves want to buy. So that, I mean, that sounds sweet. I, yeah, I'm really I, pumped That's how you. it should work. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how it should work. Businesses that are serving their customers well should thrive. And businesses oh, that aren't serving their customers well need to figure out a new thing or need to go away. And right now there's such a mismatch of that in the plus size shopping world where brands are like, you have so few options, you have to deal with us. So even though we suck, we're making enough money that we don't really care. And we're trying to change that and force them into caring by giving plus size women both way more options and helping them find brands they would have never naturally found on their own, as well as taking some of the conversations and the topics that are being discussed by women on the platform and turning around to brands and saying, here's what we actually want. And if you don't do this, go away. End of story. (laughs) I have a follow-up here, Charlotte. Um, I, so hearing you talk about your journey, um, now and hearing you sort of like empower other women, just like you empowered yourself. Um, I I'm curious, like, what are you hearing from the community now? Like, um, and, and can you speak to kind of like the market size? It's a, it's a very sizable market of humans that want to spend money on clothes. It's insane when you look at the pure stats. So 68% of women are categorized as plus size in the US just based off of their size. That's a $46.6 billion market, which is just an insane amount of money to think about. And I think an even more interesting stat that you wouldn't naturally look towards, but 88% of plus size women have said that if they found clothes they loved, they would shop more they would buy more clothes. So it's not even a question of, well, they're getting the clothes they need. They just don't totally love them. Like they would buy more. That market would grow. We could get past the 46.6 billion if there was cute stuff out there. Um, 
So I really struggle when people describe the plus size market as a niche market because it's the majority of women. It's this huge market that's being relegated to an 8% square footage of a total store when it's even there in the first place. Um, And that is so frustrating to me because it is so, so common. It's not, and yet we're made to feel like we're the only ones going through it. And that's like such an impressive reality of media that you know, I spent my whole life feeling like I was the only one who was ever near my size and that I was this black sheep. And then you start to Absolutely. look at the, the big picture and you're like, wait a second, I should be the one feeling like I'm the norm. Oh yeah. I remember joining Instagram in 2013 and finding like Gabby Fresh and Nicolette Mason and, um, I only know her, I only know her handle, but it's, it's me, Kelly B like all of these people that are just plus size and doing their thing. And I felt like an instant like connection because that's who they were. And I was like, Oh, this is the shopping experience. This is, you know, we're going through the same thing. We all feel the same things. (laughs) You know, that when they post a photo and tag a store, that you can go buy the shirt they're wearing. Right. Like, which is such an experience. It's the core experience I try to explain to my straight size friends is like, people will send me photos of something from Instagram and be like, you would look so cute in this. And then I click on it and it's only offered in a small, medium or large. And I'm like, when you see representation, when the people in social media have your body size, that test goes away. You can just go press buy. Whereas I, as a plus size woman right now, have to spend a majority of my time when it comes to fashion on social media, not getting my hopes up because I'm convinced I'm going to find the perfect thing and then have it not be offered in my size. And that's such a like sad experience. And then I spend three hours searching for some version of that dress on the seven sites I know about that I can shop from. So who are your favorite retailers? Right now, I've really been liking, I'm a very sort of trendy, on-trend style type person. I wish I had a more classic style, but I feel like I follow the trends pretty quickly. Um, And I've really liked Nasty Gals stuff recently. Um, I am a huge shopper of like Boohoo, Nasty Gal, Ula Popkin. The UK brands, I really feel like are doing it right currently. So um, I found hard. snow pants from ASOS Ooh. and I mean, yeah. I was a skier and I needed snow pants, but the American brands don't size up. So yes. I am constantly amazed by the fact that, yeah, it's always the European yeah. brands. And I'm like, yes, this is cute. Um, and I shop at Target so much, which is both out of convenience, but also because they have some really cute staples. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, I wish there were like some cute boutique ones that I shopped at a ton, but I, I find it hard to find them that like really embody my style and are just cut well. I think my hardest thing is like finding dresses that are like really weird lengths or, you know, great in the top, but horrible in the bottom. Um finding those proportions is like a whole, a whole other game. 
Oh yeah. And retailers change it up every season and they make adjustments based on reviews, which is fine, but sometimes they don't always work for everybody. (laughs) And it sucks when you are an 18 in a brand and you order something in an 18 again. And now it's like two sizes too small. I'm like, I bought from you three months ago. (laughs) What has happened? (laughs) No one's telling me anything. Yep. It's so two weeks at the time of airing, it will have been two weeks ago, um, that Sarah shared, um, her like deep disappointment with loft cutting. And I'm disappointed in loft too, like deep disappointment in loft cutting its extended sizing line. Um, are there, Charlotte, do you think U S brands are cutting extended sizing or adding them? Are you seeing a trend one way or the other? I think we're seeing a weird mixture of this very performative adding of a plus size collection or a few pieces, but not really expanding into a whole line. So I don't want to like call them as like that they're inclusive all of a sudden because they have like six tops and all of a sudden they like to claim that they have now extended their size range six sizes, which is just not the case. Um, but we have, I think there's been a shift, especially during the pandemic with businesses, you know, struggling a little more. And the first thing to go has been their plus size department. And it has just been, even if they don't get rid of it totally, they shrink it. And I mean, Loft was so upsetting because they announced it as a response to a comment because they just sort of took it down and didn't really tell anyone until like a random Instagram user was like, hey, what's the deal? And they were like, yeah, sorry, our bad. There were articles. I, one of my friends read an article on it before the comment and I, Oh really? I hadn't, I felt like that had been very sleeped under the rug, at least mainstream. I know. I, I agree. I, I saw the comment, but I also get a lot of news from Instagram. (laughs) I feel like I, I try to be very on plus size news. I subscribe to newsletters. I'm reading most of the major magazines at least twice a week to sort of make sure that I'm keeping up with everything. And I felt like that one just sort of like blew up on Instagram one day. And I was like, no one told me about this. And I think what was even more upsetting to me was my realization that as a 19 year old, I don't want to shop at Loft. Like it was never my style, but I was still mourning the loss of this plus size line because I had so few options to start with that I was like, well, there's one more thing to cross off my list. Like there's one less store to shop at. Not even because I like like their style of clothes. I mean, power to people who do, but it's just, <laughs> it wasn't my vibe. Right. And I was still super upset about it because I was like, that's when I run out of places to shop, I'm, you know, going to run out a little faster now. Yeah, I was a loft girl and I, um, Previously, a few years ago, more than a few years ago, I could fit into their size 18 straight sizes. So I would always like be on the lookout for um, for like new releases and like cuts that would fit. And I would be like first one to buy it. And then when they launched their plus, I was like, oh, sweet. I have like lever- I have room to like if something doesn't fit, I can go up a size or I can yeah. go down a size or and then uh, and then they oh, I'm disgusted. It's and it's such it makes no sense from a finance from a truly purely financial and market size standpoint. Like it is so 
I think that's the frustrating thing that when plus size is the first thing to go, it's not because that's what's going to save the company money. It's not because that's what, you know, is the smallest market and the easiest to cut out. It's because media and society over so many years has perpetuated that, you know, plus size women are a secondary thought. So they're not your core customers. They're not who you desire to have as customers. So they're the easiest to go, which is so problematic and really, really frustrating when I, as a 19 year old can see the financial mistakes of, you know, CEOs and executives of giant clothing companies. I'm like, how do I notice this? And somehow it's not getting through to you all. Yeah. I was chatting with, um, an upstart, like athletic apparel brand, um, here in Chicago and the, the founder of it was telling me that, um, they, they make apparel, um, based on like what their audience was telling them. So like if their audience asked them for extended sizing, they would make that. And I'm like, that's backwards. (laughs) And I remember like having this, this conversation, like that's backwards because if they can't shop your line now, they're not your customers. So they can't ask for it. Um, so I, I truly believe like the only way for a brand to be inclusive is not to like make straight sizes and then like extend it once people ask, like, how would, how would you, how would you look to a brand to sort of start inclusive today? Or what would you tell them? I take a very engineering approach to this based off of my engineering background, which is you design the product, any product to the middle 90%. There's always going to be like a 5% outlier on either side that aren't going to be able to use a product and you can never design a product that's going to fit a hundred percent of people's needs. That's just a reality of any product design, whether that's clothing, engineering, manufacturing, anything. And so I look at it from a, well, who are the 90%? Who are the majority of people? And when you look at it, the average size in the US is a 14 right now. So if you logistically want to look at it from there, cool, do a size, you know, four to 14 to 24. Like that would be just And I would argue you should go beyond that. I believe a company should offer up to a minimum of a 26 and that if you can't manufacture that, you're not ready to start offering clothing. But just if you're looking at a market, having your center number be an eight doesn't make sense. And another thing is um, one of my friend's mom is a seamstress and she has all of this seamstress knowledge. Um, she was saying a while ago that they don't teach how to size up in schools. So if you go to fashion school and you're in like an alteration class, if that's even like what it's called, they don't teach how to size up. They only teach how to make, um, um, a garment smaller. No, they, the pattern, sorry, the pattern in one size. And then they size up from there and they don't, they don't know how to teach how to cut plus size patterns. So that's where you need to start as like, as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's a systemic and it's, I struggle. I believe that products should be offered in a whole range of sizes. I don't like the idea of, you know, plus size women not having the same access to clothes as straight size women, but I do think you have to approach it from a different cut standpoint, a size 24 body is cannot wear the same, even if you just add inches on either side, the same layout of a t-shirt as a size four body. Like the proportions are different. Or even a size 14. 
or even a size four. Exactly. And so this huge, like, just add an inch on every side logic of patterns that is currently happening is very problematic and is having these issues where they're like, oh, well, we have a size 20, we have a size 26, we have whatever, but it fits awfully. And I'm done with just like high-fiving brands because they offer my size (laughs) and it doesn't actually look good on my body. I want a piece of clothing I want to wear. Exactly. Um, And that, that is another part of the conversation that needs to happen. You don't just get to say, oh, well, it's a size 20, bye. Like the, the conversation doesn't end there. I want to get Parsons School of Design on the phone. It's the fashion. There's a really cool TikToker and I'm for, I'm blanking on her name, but she is a South Korean. She has a small line that she designed herself and she went to fashion school and she's plus size. And she shares on TikTok her experiences of fashion school as a plus size designer and then designing for plus size people and going through the manufacturing process and talking to companies about mass producing her products and just how difficult that is when you aren't using, you know, sample standard sizes from that they were all taught in school. I followed some indie brands through the pandemic and they've, they've said the exact same thing. Like it's just a pain in the butt and people don't get it. And it just goes for the system isn't designed for it, which is awful. We need new system stat. Um, Charlotte, I, I, I find it fascinating, first of all, that you've like chosen, and I'm, I'm putting air quotes around this. So if you're consuming this podcast by listening, but you, you've chosen like a couple of men's worlds um, along the way and yeah. like football engineering um, and now very frequently like a, a technology company, like the, the doors you're going to go knocking on for funding in the future are very frequently going to be like men's doors. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, like what lessons you've learned from those experiences of being like the lone female or like one of the few, um, that are sort of helping you to, to knock down barriers and and get the shit done. Yeah. Um, I think the first is I walk into the room with the confidence, a white boy with a trust fund is how I like to think of it. (laughs) And if you treat yourself that way. Other people will treat you that way. And I, I have always been outspoken. I have always been sort of a loud person my whole life. Um, but I never, I make sure that I never walk into a space thinking of myself as the lone women and going to be excluded. I walk in and I'm like, I'm one of this group, whatever I'm walking into, I am going to contribute what I can contribute. I'm going to probably take control where I can take control given my personality. And I think just having that, that fake it till you make it confidence really helps set the tone. Cause I think other people very much react to how you present yourself from the very beginning. So I make sure that that first impression is really strong. And then in some male dominated spaces, I got advice from another female entrepreneur who came and talked my freshman year at the garage at Northwestern, which is our startup hub. And she's the founder of Squad and she has, you know, has done multi-million dollar fundraising rounds and she's in Silicon Valley and very tech involved. And she said, always have your male 
like counterpart, like sometimes they have to be the face of things. And so just use the system Mm -hmm. and it's messed up that you have to do it. But you know, sometimes you send the guy in there to talk on your behalf. And at the end of the day, if you get the thing done, you get the thing done and you're the one who runs it. And you know, if you have to use the system, use another person, then that's what you have to do. But just deciding, I decided early on that I wasn't going to let being a woman, I wasn't going to let being plus size, I wasn't going to let any of those things stop me from walking through a door. I would just walk through the door and figure it out when I got there. God damn it. I love Gen Z. (laughs) Do you see any of that changing? I definitely do. I think there's been a really big push for especially women supporting women, once you're already in the door, I've been so amazed by the amount of people who have taken me under my wing, willing to take meetings, willing to support me and help me because they had gone through the experience previously. I think a really great example of it is I'm really involved in the Propel program, which is our startup incubator. And it gives a small stipend of funding to female entrepreneurs at Northwestern. And Since the program's launched, Northwestern's gone from having, in the garage, our startups used to be, I think, 26% were female-led and 74% were male-led. We actually just hit 48 female entrepreneurs and 47 male entrepreneurs that are currently in residence. Um, Wow. So you see that when these programs and these systems are put in place to really support marginalized groups, it works. Like they're willing to come. Someone just has to open the door and has to be like, see, so another girl's doing this role and kicking ass. So why don't you can aspire to be her when you can see people who are doing what you want to do, you're way more willing to do it than if you're the first. And I, I have been the first and it is much harder than when there's six people I can call up and be like, hi, how do you do this? Can you please help? Um, So I definitely, I definitely think there's a shift and I've also found in male dominated spaces, a lot of men who are starting to recognize these systemic issues and want to stop the boys club, which I don't think would have existed 20, 25 years ago where they were just fine being the majority and didn't want the women to come in. And I think that's been a really cool and is very true of my generation to have this sort of male feminist movement of men coming in and saying, this is our place to speak to in supporting these women and in being allies and in helping them get to these spaces so that it truly is who deserves to be there, not who's the man who's, you know, part of the majority and has the easier way in. Yeah. It's so interesting that you talked about working within the system, uh, because in the apparel industry, Ty Haney, founder of, of Outdoor Voices, used to walk into these investor meetings and they would give her this answer that um, female founders were really used to hearing five, 10 years ago, which is like, I don't understand it. I'll ask my wife, which is basically no, <laughs> like, like you're a woman, I'm never going to call you again. And so the thing she did was she would ship them apparel. She'd ask them like right there in that meeting, like what size does your wife wear? And then ship them apparel for their wife. Um, And I remember the first time I heard it, I was mad about it because I was like, oh, I can't believe they're putting you through. But then I realized like, no, she was gaming the system in order to like get what she wanted. Yeah. Which no one, 
I'm not saying that that's a system we should have. Obviously, in the dream world, the system's fair, the system's equal, the startups that are helping people succeed and the startups that aren't don't succeed. Um, But there's a certain reality of the system we live in. And the only way to change it is to get into it. And I am all for using unconventional methods to get into it and get your foot in the door. Show up and take up space. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh man, Sarah, should we ask some listener questions? Yes. So we have a couple of listener questions. Um, What did it feel like to win the Chicago Startup Week's pitch competition? That was a wild weekend and was so exciting. I was in- What was the process also? Yeah. So the process of Chicago Startup Week was, I should preface this with, I was in the midst of probably one of the hardest finals week I've ever been through during my Northwestern career. So all of this was happening in between exams and very late night study sessions. But we went through a pitch workshop, a preliminary pitch where I actually pitched to Jenna, which was super cool. Um, And then was chosen to go to the final pitches, which I pitched 10 minutes after turning in an economics final um, and was very stressed and was about to head off to the airport. So it was a four minute pitch with four minutes of questions. And then... I hopped in a car and was sitting in the airport terminal ready to go home with my one headphone in so that I could hear if my plane boarding got called for the announcements of the winners. And the third and second place were these really amazing medical startups that were sort of really disrupting the spaces in cool ways. And I heard the third place and I remember going, well, this was a great experience. I got a ton of great feedback, but there's no way this is me. Like these are crazy startups. Um, but I was like, I might as well hear his second and first. So they announced second and I'm like, yeah, that's definitely not me. And then they announced first and I got it. And I was ecstatic. I think for me, and this definitely probably has something to do with how women are taught to sort of think of themselves, but I really saw Q the Curves as this thing I was super passionate about, but it was winning Chicago Startup Week that taught me that it was a company and it had, you know, mm-hmm. legs and it was going to go somewhere. And I could, I could treat it as that. I didn't need to keep like sort of explaining it down and being like, oh, it's just like this, like blog and clothing thing I run. And then I, I sort of, after winning Chicago Startup Week, started being like, well, this is my company that I'm in charge of. I own, I'm changing this space. I'm doing this work. Like we're going to be big people in this space. And that outside validation that I wasn't crazy, that this was going to be something that could get big, um, really changed my outlook on everything. Well, that's fantastic. It's It sounds amazing. Yeah, it was it was super exciting and obviously have already built such great connections out of it. I mean, it's how I met a sweat life. Um, and so many cool opportunities around. We now have a really cool office space in downtown Chicago that we got out of it. That's super fun right on the river. I feel very official to be like, I'm going to the office. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a really, really great experience. Oh, fun. Um, What are you going to do in the office? Are you going to have like parties, not parties, but like get togethers? 
networking, networking get togethers, networking. I'm really hoping to start to bring together some of the really big voices in plus size fashion that are based in Chicago. There's a really cool network here. And now I sort of have a space to be like, let's all meet up. Let's have some conversations around these topics. Um, and I think it just gives you a sense of realness, which is so hard as a startup to be like, hi, I'm not just a random person claiming to you that I'm a company. Like I'm a real contender in this space and you need to take me seriously, which as a 19 year old girl is even harder when I'm trying to talk to, you know, seasoned professionals in spaces and be like, hi, please take me seriously. Um, And so to be like, hi, meet me at my office (laughs) is a nice moment where it just, you know, it's, yeah, it's one more thing that says, I'm not just some kid who's claiming to you, I'm into plus size fashion. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a founder. I need, I deserve the respect and to be treated as such. I love it. Um, last question. What advice would you give to other young entrepreneurs? Find a network and be passionate about what you do. So those are my two. Find a network as in entrepreneurship is not a six month sprint. I think everyone is convinced when they start things that six months from now, it's going to be huge. They're going to be making a ton of money. It's going to be the next fortune 500. And it can be really easy to get discouraged if you don't hit these massive milestones you make up in your head really early on. Mm -hmm. And so having a network of people who have experience in areas you don't have experience in, have your best interests at heart, want to support you, that keeps you going. And you really can't do it alone. Even if you're a sole founder, the way I am, I am the only one who holds equity in my company. Um, you can't do everything without talking to people because you're not going to have all the knowledge, especially as a young entrepreneur. So that having a great support system and network would be my first piece of advice. And then my second one is you have to be passionate about what you're doing. I think there's a lot of people who you can find tons of problems in the world. Um, We do an engineering exercise freshman year where we literally had to find just 10 really bad examples of design or problem fit friction um, and explain why they were so bad and how we would fix them. So it's easy to find the problems. It's easy to claim that you have a solution that might work. But the only way to be successful as an entrepreneur is to be super passionate about fixing that problem. Because your first solution probably won't work. You'll have to pivot a few times. Things will change. You'll go through ups. You'll go through downs. You'll be turned down by people. Doors will be shut in your face. But if you have a deep passion and you wake up every day wanting to solve the problem you're trying to solve, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out the thing that clicks. You'll be willing to make those pivots. You'll meet the people you need to meet. Um, yeah, if I wake up one day and I decide that I don't care about plus size fashion, which is not going to happen because I'm very, very passionate about it. But if that was the case, I'd close the doors on cue the curves because there's no way to make a successful business around something that you as a founder aren't so driven about. Yeah, it's great advice. Yeah. Sarah, what do you think? Should we shut it down? I could talk forever. I know. I could too. I know. I'm the same way. <laughs> we just really like you, Charlotte. Well, well thank you. I really like y'all. 
Yeah, we'll be friends forever. Um, this was another episode of We Got Goals, which is an Eswatlife.com production. And another thing that's better with friends. At the time of listening, it is May 19th, or at the time of airing, I should say. So if you're listening to this on the day it airs, you can hear Charlotte on our panel that's all about size inclusion and how it affects everyone's straight sizes, plus sizes, petites, everybody. Size inclusion and body positivity helps us all to be more mentally healthy. So you can hear about that tomorrow on the 20th. And if you're hearing this later, we'll have a recording of that panel on our YouTube channel. So thank you to Charlotte for being here. Thank you to Ryan Deffitt for editing and Ryan Barayuga for video production. And thanks to you, listener, for being a part of our community.